are listening to Give Me the Bible with Lynn. Today's program is about God's promises. Hello, my radio friends. It's great that you've tuned in today for another program in the series, Give Me the Bible. Have you ever noticed in American movies how that when someone is in some sort of trouble and when there is someone else trying to comfort the one who has the trouble, inevitably the comforter says, everything will turn out okay, I promise you. What sort of a promise is that? What sort of mechanisms and safeguards are behind such a promise? The person who usually makes that promise does not have the resources or the power or the will to ensure their promise would come true. That promise, therefore, was nothing or is nothing more than mere words. So what is a promise? The definition is that a promise is a declaration of assurance or a declaration that something will happen. The definition um, applies to, say, a wedding vow. When my wife and I were married, we made a promise, a vow, to each other that we would be faithful to each other, love each other and honour each other until death do us part. It requires commitment and energy to keep that promise, but we have been faithful to each other and our marriage happily continues. There are people who, at the spur of the moment, make promises but rarely keep them. If you know someone like that, you probably don't trust them very much because they do not have the fidelity of character to do what they say. On the other hand, you may know someone who does keep their promises. You can trust them. In the Bible are many promises that God has made. Some are conditional, such as, If you do what I require, I will bless you. If you disobey me and go your own way, you will suffer negative consequences. There's nothing wrong with a conditional promise. In fact, it puts the onus on the promisee to modify his or her behaviour in order to receive the positive benefits the promisor has outlined. This has been a very effective method of discipline in raising children. To promise a positive benefit for acceptable behaviour is a good incentive and encourages the child to make wise choices in most aspects of his or her life. How can God's promises 
differ from man's. The American movie promises are shallow and there is very little guarantee that they will be carried out because the promiseur does not have the resources, the power, nor the will to carry them out. But God carries out his promises. You see, he is all-powerful, and he does not lie. In Titus 1-2, we are told, A faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternity which God, who does not lie, promised from the beginning of time. So, when God makes a promise, you can be sure that it will come to pass. There are those who feel that God is up there and we're down here, so how can he be interested in the likes of us? One of the promises God makes is found in Isaiah 1 verse 18 where it says, Come now, and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Here is a promise, an invitation, where God asks us to reason together. In that we can put our concerns to him, and if you like, argy-bargy with him. Generally, we will find answers from him in his word, the Bible. But there are times when God gives direct answers in other ways, such as dreams or visions. God is not unreasonable. We are given enough evidence that he exists and there is enough evidence that his word is true. Call to me, and I will answer you, and show you great and mighty things which you do not know, is another promise found in Jeremiah 33, 3. Here, God gives a generous invitation, showing how he wants us to approach him we can approach him boldly. Hebrews 4.16 clearly says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence or boldly, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Because God loves us and cares for us so much, it would be contradictory if he was not prepared to listen to us. But I want to remind you that God answers our prayers to him in one of three ways. Sometimes he says yes. Sometimes it's wait a while. And sometimes it's no. Whatever God answers, one thing is for certain. That is that God cares for us. Psalm 91.1 is rich with the promises of God's care and protection. This psalm was my father's favourite, and my dad especially loved verse 11, which says, For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you 
in all your ways. Of course, it's possible to shut God out of your life, to ignore him. That's because he loves us. Love allows us to exercise free will. Exercise of our free will may include going our own way and doing our own things without regard to our Creator. But it's far better to allow God into your life, both for the present and for the future. So often, especially when we've done something we know is wrong, we feel condemned. It's the product of our consciences. Our conscience is a good thing as it makes us uncomfortable with sin. We may also fear that God must feel angry with us when we've failed him and have failed to keep to the high standard of righteousness that we should keep. Does God turn his back on us at such times and want nothing more to do with us? No way. Another promise in the Bible tells us how God regards us. It is found in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, and verses 11 through to 13. God says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call on me and go to pray to me, And I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. God knows the human condition. He understands and feels compassion for us. After all, didn't Jesus spend time on planet Earth rubbing shoulders with mankind? He knew about the disease, the emotions, the heartaches and all the other things that are part of the life of humans. God doesn't hate us. The opposite is true. God wants the very best for us and it hurts him to see us damaged and deformed by sin. In Psalm 103 in verse 13 and 14 is another promise, a declaration of about how God feels toward us. It says, As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. God knows we have to fight with an unequal enemy, Satan. Satan has an advantage over us inasmuch as he is a supernatural being and can see into our lives and knows our propensities and natural desires. He knows our weaknesses and tempts us in all the areas where we are vulnerable. But at the same time, God gives us aid to overcome the tendencies we have toward sin. At the cross of Calvary, when Jesus died apparently in defeat, he died in victory because he did not fall for Satan's tricks. When Jesus died, he uttered those famous victorious words, It is 
finished. Those words announced the death knell for Satan, who knew what awaited him, eternal death and total annihilation. He hasn't been destroyed yet, but he knows each day that his sentence is one day closer to being carried out. Jesus did not remain dead. He rose to life again and is in heaven as our great high priest and intercessor, and he longs for the day when he can leave heaven again and come down to this earth to collect all those who were and are faithful to him. I plan to be in that number, and I hope you do too. We're not finished yet. We'll have a little musical break and go on straight afterwards. I am a poor wayfaring stranger Traveling through this world of woe Yet there's no sickness, no toil danger In that bright world to which I go I'm going there to see my father I'm going there no more to roam I'm only going over Jordan I'm only going over home Yes, Lord Dark clouds will gather around me I know my way is rough and steep Yet beauteous fields lie just before me Where God's redeemed their vigils Going there to see my mother She said she'd meet me when I come I'm only going over Jordan I'm only going
I heard a conversation recently between two people. The young man in the conversation was talking about the death of the rock star, the rock music star named Prince. The young man commented that Prince was a brilliant musician and he was so good that he deserved to be worshipped. The woman in the conversation picked up on a very important point, and this was it. Prince was a human being. He died and is and was unable to give anybody any hope of eternal life. Elvis couldn't do it, and the Beatles couldn't do it, but Jesus could because he had the power over death and sin. And he was willing to allow us, if we are willing, to be part of his victory. What he did was not for his own benefit, it was for ours. The book of Romans is a treatise on how God has dealt with the sin problem. The first verse of Romans 8 says it clearly. It's a promise a very significant promise which says there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Put another way this verse says that those who serve and honour Jesus are not condemned because they do not give into and follow the dictates of their sinful natures. Instead, they are guided by Christ. Prince can't save you. Elvis can't save you. Buddha can't save you. Atheism can't save you. But Jesus can. In the book of Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, the Apostle Peter announced another Bible promise when he said, Nor is there any salvation in any other than Jesus, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And in the Gospel of John, just before and including the most well-known verse in the Bible, Chapter 3.16, it says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man, that's Jesus, be lifted up on a cross, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God's promises are real and they are true. Millions of people in the past and millions living in this present time depend on God's promises. If they were not true, then this religion thing would be a complete and utter waste of time. But because what God says in his word, we can pin our dependence on what he has said. Because we can depend on what God says, It gives me good reason to want to share the truth of the Bible and the message of salvation with you, dear listeners, because I want you to learn of God's great love for you and his plans for you to live in paradise with him forever 
and ever. And then we also have the reassurance of the fact that when we come to Christ, that we will be accepted. Let me share some more Bible promises with you. John 6.37 tells us, and here Jesus is speaking, and he says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. And then we have this well-known text in 1 John 1.9, which says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Romans 5.8 we're told, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then in 1 Peter 5.7 we're told, Casting all your care on him, that's Jesus, for he cares for you. These promises are very precious. God cares. A lady I once met had the idea that her sins were so great that God could never forgive her. I was sorry she felt this way because that basically meant that she didn't trust God. And I've said this before. You cannot out-sin God's grace. God has given his exceedingly great and precious promises so that through them we may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desire. That's from Second Peter 1.4. God is faithful. God is true. God can be trusted and his word can be trusted. The Bible is the word of God and you can trust it. It gives a solid base on which to build our lives. It provides a right understanding of the world, about ourselves and how we fit in. It explains the way of salvation, how to be saved, and of the loving God who cares for us so very, very much. I feel that those who reject the word of God and the promises that we find therein are missing out on the very best thing they could ever have. They probably do not trust God, and I find it difficult to understand why they should not. God has never let me down, although I have let him down many times. But I have the reassurance of his love and forgiveness, and that allows me to make it right with God again and go on. Do you, dear listener, trust God? If so, take him at his word, because what he says is true. If your life is not what it should be, don't worry that you are rejected. God is there ready and waiting for you, ready not to pounce on you and punish you, but to forgive you and lead you to where you will be much happier and fulfilled than you were before.
dear listeners, it's my earnest prayer that you will open the door wide in your life and let God in. You will never regret it. Trust God's promises. There is everything to gain and nothing to lose. Well, that's it for today. Won't you join me next time for another in the series, Give Me the Bible? Until then, I wish you joy and peace and a willingness to immerse yourself in God's very precious promises.